It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show live from the shack out back in the bin. Busy city? No, it's not. It's a very sleepy town of Pukalani in Hawaii, on Maui. And it very much pains me to say this, but as much as we like coming to you from paradise today, we're going to take a trip through hell in American news. Joining me all the way from Chico, um, he is the man, the myth, the legend, the DJ, and the Friday love. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, sir. I'm so always happy to step into the no BS zone and to be here with you. Well, we got to jump right into some BS because normally I would spend the part of the show saying, hi, greetings, salutations, welcome back from the weekend. Check out our website, shaggyjenkins.com. Follow me on social media. We're on Stitcher. I would be I would be talking about all the places you could find us and ni- nice, neat stuff. But a story came across this weekend that I really wanted to just jump right into, and it has to do with these group of guys that call themselves the Proud Boys. If you've never heard of them, Friday, how would you describe the Proud Boys to somebody? Um, ignorant, small-minded, uh, backwards, uh, deviant, dangerous. Well, that would describe <laughs> groups also like, well, <laughs> let's see, the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> the Imperial Knights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not very good people, and the Proud Boys have, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, been linked very intricately to these not good people, including some rather violent white supremacist groups. So is it any surprise? I'm never calling them the the other name again. They're the P group, the P boys from now on. And and the P boys, because that's what they do is they pee on themselves, are of course aligned with the most horrible people on the planet and with the least... Uh, forward-thinking individuals they can find. Now, this is something that's kind of funny, because uh, at this protest that happened over the weekend at the Metropolitan Republican Club, and and can I go ahead and say that the Republican Club isn't really run by the Republican Party. You know that, right? I do know that. Okay, okay. It's just a name. But these guys decided... That they were going to give a speech. Um, what is it, Gavin McInnes or McGinnis? I think it's McGinnis. But he was scheduled to give this speech, and he's a proud founder of the Proud Boys. And at this event, a lot of people who had came out to protest. And this is the thing. Friday, I got to ask you, how odd is it to see consistently in the headlines, especially with groups like the Proud Boys, the word anti? fascist protesters following them everywhere. Wow. Um, the labeling, the naming, the uh, assaulting, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm never surprised. That, that's what I'll have to say. There, there is no surprise involved in this at all. It, it just sounds like facts. Well, the two things that bother me about this is, one, it's like, oh, wow, so, so now... If you're opposed to um, <clears throat> the status quo, the status quo, uh, you can just expect protesting wherever you go, even if 
your idea of being against the status quo is misogyny, outright racism, institutionalized racism, and, and violence against uh, persons of color. Um, but on the other side of that, this is the thing that really kind of bothers me. Isn't it odd that almost in a consistent, consistent basis here in the United States, we have to not only define the word fascism, but we have to openly protest people that are pro-fascist. It's a sad state we live in. It's, it's a, oh God. You know what? It, it takes patience to come up, to rise above negativity. It takes patience. And this is part of the patience is working past stuff like this whole having to stand up and say that, you know, Raping women is not okay. You still have to stand up and see, even though it seems like uh, common sense, because common sense isn't that common. Uh, it seems like common sense. You still have to keep standing up, saying it over and over again, and defending it. And that's what we really have to do is stand up and defend it. Yeah, because when we're talking about defending things, and, and, and just in a little bit, we'll talk about, oh, God, the weird and back-and-forth defense of somebody like Kanye West in this whole story. But when we talk about defense... This is the thing that really gets me, is this is not a story of people feeling like they were getting attacked from these protesters. They basically, according to witness accounts, came out trying to hype themselves up for violence before there was any signs of violence being done towards them. Now, if you're trying to endear yourself to a cause... How much uh, endearment do you get from being a jackass? You get absolutely none. And, and think about the uh, mind state and the purpose that comes with jacking yourself up for violence right before somebody comes out of a meeting that has nothing to do with you. I can understand if they were, if the meeting w was about beating one of your members, <laughs> I can understand you being outside trying to get hyped for them to come out. But mm -hmm. this is this is having nothing to do with them, and they're outside trying to get hyped for violence. That just tells you where their mind state is right there. Well, here's the thing, because, I, and I'm going to link this back to the inauguration of Donald Trump. This country hasn't seen a rise in this type of bad behavior in a while. But it does seem that groups like the Proud Boys do enjoy a little bit of free reign when you have a president that refuses to call them out for what they are, hate groups. The P in their diaper boys are uh, a direct result of the empowerment given by us having a leader who is absolutely out of his mind. Well, who is racist, misogynistic, and, and empowering. That's just it, because when you talk about him empowering, he is empowering to some of the bad sectors mm -hmm. of, of mentality. And when it comes to people like the Proud Boys, they've always said, well, you know, the president is secretly on our side. But according to their own material and their own speakers, their side is white supremacy. So why is it that in this country we don't exactly see or point out enough the link between leadership and their attitude towards the trends that are flourishing in society, both good and bad? Uh, I think we do see the connect. We, we see the connect all the time. What it is is I don't think we f uh, feel uh, empowered enough to uh, point out and uh, alarm the public 
to that. So, like, for instance, if you look at most of, of our police forces, there's there's a, a distinct line of not only corruption but abuse of power that runs a vein through all these different precincts and, and power plays. And every city has their own little funk going on about how they either make money off of the, uh, the public by, you know, I, I heard that, I think it was Detroit, something like 70% of the people in Detroit have a warrant out for their arrest mm-hmm. because they, they'll, give you, they'll give you 10 tickets at a traffic stop that all equate to $100 a piece to a person who can barely afford to drive their car. It's ridiculous. It is, and and this is the thing that I got to ask you because the name itself bothers me. You know, the Proud Boys thing, and, and I'm going to ask you one because I am a Caucasian and I can say whatever I want to about crackers, and they can do nothing about it. And two, because on this show we always try to increase everybody's informational as well as understanding of certain situations. So I'm going to ask you point blank. As a person of color, Friday Love, what do white people really have to be proud of? Wow. I mean, so for me personally, and, and I'm, I'm going to totally internalize this, you, if you are proud of the horrible things that you've done, <laughs> they have a lot to be proud of. But if you're not you know, aiming to be a better person, if you're not proud of the people you saved and the good work that you've done, they don't have anything to be really proud of. I mean, like for the most part, I want to say that that even the people who go out of their way and take strong action and who have lots of power like Bill Gates, I love all the philanthropic stuff he does, but I also don't understand why, you know, like I said, this is in my, in, in I'll, I'll do a Wendy Williams, in my head, I'm like, why doesn't he put a hit out on so-and-so? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, you got money. You could change things. This, I, I, I know, but see, yeah. <laughs> right now, I hate to say it, but you are being very Killmonger-esque and asking <laughs> asking T'Challa for the weapons. But I am. Look, I, I, you know, all geekery aside, when it comes to um, white people, this is some of the accomplishments that they've actually had. They invented racism, then institutionalized it in their government. Is that something that white people should be proud of? That is something they should be horribly, horribly embarrassed about. Um, white people it should be the equivalent to having shit white on. people uh, also have invented several other fun and interesting things like <clears throat> colonialism, as we saw last week with Melania Trump in her trip to Africa. Um, colonialism and the idea that you know. Well, one species is clearly more civilized than another on planet Earth. Is that something that white people should be uh, proud of? No, they should absolutely not be proud of that. They should not be proud of Melania showing up in a colonial outfit to Africa to walk around. Her fashion sense does make a difference. This is the exactly the exact same thing people are talking about when, when you wear a hat that says, Make America Great Again. People are going to question what exactly you mean by that. I think we should be all questioning... Melania and her fashion choices and asking her, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, they are guilty time and time again of this White House of dog whistling people. And some people have kind of called it out as, look, I know you're trying to say that, oh, it's just fashion, but you're dog whistling again. I mean, yeah. Well, dressing like the dressing like the oppressor to go visit somebody is not the way to go. I know you might as well have a guy with an English accent and a newsreel following her around. Melania, tolls the colonies. 
You know, mm-hmm. but okay. Look, uh, with that thought aside, because Melania's fashion sense and, of course, her claim of being the most bullied person ever uh, aside, Donald Trump does seem to elicit a certain bully-esque culture. Now, and this is the interesting twist, because not too long ago we had a movement that got started by very justifiably sick and tired women in entertainment, in business, in politics, and, and, and these women were the sick and tired types that had it and wanted to be more vocal about the culture of misogyny, sexual assault, and sexual harassment that happened to them. And Donald Trump has time and time again, as President of the United States, dipped his toe into this issue of misogyny. But, okay, Friday, quick question. Um, it, did he dip his toe in the right waters? Uh, of course not. He is, he has, you know, wow. He took his foot, he put it in, in some really, really bad poop, and then he took it over and went to go mix some very clean water with it. I mean, like, he, he is out of control. He He's doing nothing but defending his constituents and his own past behavior and trying to make it, normalizing it so that no one will be offended by how he acts and what he says. Yeah, and as such, here's the thing. Guys have reacted to the Me Too movement, not in the way that you would hope a good society would function. I'm not talking about progressive society. I'm talking about a good and decent society that despite whatever religious backgrounds or theological backgrounds, we should all agree is good. And victimizing women after they've already been sexually victimized is something that is inherently bad, but it seems that now... There is a wave of men empowered by Donald Trump's whole attitude towards not only Christine Blasey Ford, but other women that have come forward and alleged of sexual misconduct against them. They're now coming forward and saying, this Me Too movement, this is a false flag. And men, men are now the true victims in society. Okay, Friday, do they have a point? They have no point whatsoever. You can, I mean, this goes along the lines of trying to say that there's a such thing as reverse racism. That would imply that there's some place where you could go and live where the person who's going to give you your home loan is a person of color who doesn't like you. The person you buy your groceries from is a person of color who doesn't like you. Uh, uh, when you get in your car and you drive home and you get a traffic stop, it's a, a, per, a person of color, is a police officer, and they don't like you. None of those things exist. There isn't a place like that. And therefore, what they're talking about doesn't exist. And I feel like it's the same thing with this. There is no Me Too movement. There is no powerful place where you go and all the women run everything. In a, and on top of that, not only are they running things, but they actually have it out for you and have institutionalized keeping you down. Then you would have a place to stand up. But they don't have that place. It doesn't even exist. I know. It's like, let's go ahead and reveal the most um, <clears throat> powerful cabal of women that is oppressing all of these poor men. Now, now this is their allegations, this anti-Me Too movement. The allegation is, is that now there exists a culture where it is, it is brought forth that women should accuse men of sexual misconduct any time that a man does um, anything that, that that displeases them, and this is this is feminism gone wild. This is this is a way of keeping men in check. But does that really exist? As a person of color, I think that's exactly how it should go. 
Um, so say, for instance, if you were a glass blower and you kept dropping glasses, you might have to blow glass for five years without dropping a glass in order to get back in everybody's good graces. So I'm thinking that uh, if men want to get back in women's good graces, then yes, they can take you to task for absolutely anything you say that they don't like. I'm, I'm kind of bothered by this whole thing that men somehow feel, and I'm, I'm going to ask you as a fellow man, they somehow feel that they've done nothing wrong in society towards women. And now with women coming up and, and saying, look, you have done stuff wrong, you've done stuff very, very wrong in a sexually violating kind of life-altering way, and we want some sort of system of fairness for it, these men are now saying, oh God, because they're demanding that, they're lashing out at us. But is being held accountable for some BS that, that, that you've done being lashed out against? No. I have to get on this I have to get on this wagon and ride it out with these ladies right now because I want them to have absolute success because when as a person of color, when I get them on the on the stand and I get my opportunity to say, hey, you owe for what you did in the past. I want them to pay in full and, and with 100 percent interest, just like the ladies want them to pay right now. Well, OK. Uh, <clears throat> the thing is, is that when it comes to rights, only white guys think of rights and privilege as a zero sum game. And it's it, true. It, it does seem that these men this backlash that is happening that seems to be empowered by the attitude of the president himself, the, this backlash of men seems to be coming from the perspective of, oh, they're gaining privilege, they're gaining some rights, therefore they must be taking away from someone, and here's the jump, if I can't identify clearly a line between there's an agenda to take away the privileges of men and the exact group of men that it is. Oh, it must be me, the white guy. Oh, my God, they're after me. Does that and sound... This is, oh. And this is where I, I differ from a lot of people. Uh, to me, when I think of white guilt, I don't think of the guilt that makes white people do what they're supposed to do. I feel like there's this white guilt that makes white people feel like they're supposed to act a certain way. Um we are raised in a culture of if you give to anybody else, you've taken it all away from me. This is why our relationships are the way that they are, because if you if you give a hug to another woman that you feel some sort of way about, that means that you're not giving a hug to me and therefore you, you can't hug me ever again. It's ridiculousness. It's a non-sharing culture that we live in that, that breeds this kind of thought pattern. Now, this is the thing. Okay, so say if you had to grow your own vegetables, only your own vegetables. There was no such thing as grocery stores. You had to grow your own vegetables to live, okay? And you had a nice little size of land, and your neighbor, who had a different background than you, maybe came from another ooh, country than you, had an equal size of farm plot beside you. Now, remember, you can only eat what is on your own land. You cannot go to that neighbor's yard and that neighbor cannot come to your yard. And if you look over and you notice that your neighbor's garden isn't as plentiful as your own, as a human in this scenario, knowing that you couldn't give them things and stuff like that out of your own garden, 
wouldn't you want their garden to flourish just as much so you're not living beside some starving, angry people? Uh, most people would. And more importantly, wouldn't you see the wouldn't you see the uh, the need and necessity? So, for instance, if your neighbor's garden isn't doing good and you're a good person, if you're a kind person, a neighborly sort of person, which is what America is supposed to be all about. Wouldn't you wonder, is there something on his property that will soon be on my property that will make us both not have? Right. <laughs> if his garden's not flourishing, there has to be a cause. What happens when that cause suddenly is mine? But see, yes. this is the thing. No matter how well your own garden does, its performance doesn't affect your neighbor's garden at all. So this is the thing. It's not a zero-sum game. If your yes. neighbor's garden flourishes, if it even does as equal to yours as, as possible, that takes nothing away from what your own garden would have already bared. So if, if, you're, if you're thinking about gardens as far as rights now, you as a woman, you as a person of color, gaining more rights, and, and this is something that we have to bring up, with this whole backlash of males against me too, it's kind of <clears throat> starting to be dangerously close to Friday, help me out here, and, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I really got to ask this question. Have we gotten to the point where, oh my God, we're this close to women being able, at least a white woman, being able to come forward safely without getting killed on her way to testify about sexual assault, we actually have a more listening environment. Am I, am I right or am I wrong? I, I think what we have right now is an opportunity. We still have not changed anything. We still don't live in a different type of, of uh, neighborhood or category or space where women are treated as equals. So I think we, we may have cracked a window that one day will be open, that will one day lead to someone jumping out of it and running around to the front and opening the front door. That's how far away we are. Yeah, okay. So <clears throat> so here's the thing. Remember that whole garden scenario we talked about earlier? So imagine yes, if, yes. You, if you had no families, that it was just you, the single person in your garden, and, 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 mm -hmm. and you and your neighbor were, were different genders. And let's say that the guy's garden was plentiful and the woman's garden was not. Now... <clears throat> Here's the thing. Knowing what you know about the laws of these two gardens, that theirs can flourish without affecting yours, and theirs can also go down without taking away anything from yours, wouldn't you see, at least if you were a heterosexual, wouldn't you see the advantage of making sure that that garden beside you was as plentiful as possible so that that neighbor would stay as close as possible so there's a chance of something happening? Absolutely. So why is it that guys are so afraid of women? And I don't know why we're asking this in 2018, but why is it that guys are still so very afraid of women getting the right to at least be able to say something without there being some sort of male reaction from I think, I don't, a visceral place? I don't think it's place. the world. I think it's, it's non-melanated uh, males who are uh, not free thinkers who are really afraid of their perceived power being taken away from them. And they just, at, at even the slightest hair going up on their neck, they go into full raging uh, pit bull mode 
and try and defend themselves. Okay, so we've got to answer the obvious question. With Trump and all of these people that are now coming out, the anti-Me Too men, i got to ask the obvious question here, because Donald Trump put this forward in a statement. Friday love is now a dangerous time to be a man. Uh, now is a dangerous time to be a guilty man. Uh, now is a dangerous time to be a man who has ill intentions. Now is a dangerous time to be a man with a badge who has ill intentions. And if you're any of those people, you should have your head on swivel. We're looking for you. We're coming for you. And we are watching you every single day. And I think that's the thing is they're more afraid of being caught than they are of being stopped. Exactly. So, look, in kind of a nutshell here, if you could just address men as a whole, because, you know, they say that feminism works like that. There's one representative, and of course she gives the directives all the way down. So if me and you were the head of the men's council right now, <laughs> sounds like a hair club. Um, but I if, like it. If we were the head of the men's council, what would you be telling men in your gut reaction to reading that they now feel that it's not a safe time to be a man? Um, one, I would stand up on my throne because that's where I would be sitting. Mm -hmm. uh, two, I would be addressing all the males at one time because I would have them all gather before me. And three, it would be a simple conversation because the thought process behind it would be coming from a place of health, happiness, and well-being. And all I would need to tell them is that they are safe, just as the women are safe under my rule. That's why you're all here. Yeah, yeah. but if I was just talking to the guys right now in this country, I'd be like, okay, dudes, you know what? Let's, let's, come, let's come together like a huddle. You white guys like huddles. Come on, you don't understand anything about football and probably don't play it as well as uh, other athletes do. But come on, let's get in a huddle. You, you seem to like that. Um, you can touch rears if you want. Um, here's the thing, fellas. As soon as we go back out there on the field, the rules have never, ever changed. You're just now trying to be held up to them. And if that's something uncomfortable to you, then maybe, just maybe, you need to make sure that the rules are fair for everybody. Because one day, you're not going to be the ones in charge. And break. You think I'd have much um, luck with that? Oh, I think it would totally work. Yeah. Just like uh, at the end of my end of my sentence, I would be like, "And if you don't agree with me as your king, I'm, I'm very simply gonna I'm gonna cut off your member and get half." You get to keep half. I'm the king because the baby half. My point. I know all the guys inside the game. <laughs> you know, in, well, order to, in order to stay whole, there's no side of me. I hate to cut you off, but we got to take a break. Coming back, we'll talk more about disenfranchisement and Kanye West. It's the Shaky Jenkins Show. Someone needs to buy a Grassroots USA tour package for the members of Donald Trump's Council of Economic Advisors so they can at least visit the real world one time in their lives. The three advisors are ivory tower ideologues whose sole professional expertise seems to be twisting reality to fit their boss's right-wing fantasia. In July, for example, the trio issued a fairy tale disguised as an official government report on poverty, essentially asserting that our U.S. of A. no longer has a poverty problem. Poof, declared these learned ones from on high. The need for food stamps, Medicaid, public housing, and other assistance has virtually disappeared in our land. 
Jobs abound, they lectured. The economy is pumping out great gobs of new wealth, and bluebirds of happiness are spreading joy everywhere. You can imagine the comfort that this report has brought to the 45 million Americans now living below the poverty line. That line means they're trying to make ends meet on only $25,000 a year. Not per person, but for a family of four. Let's see any of Trump's advisors try to live on that before smugly claiming that poverty is largely over. What's at work here is the political manipulation of statistics to support Trump's ideological delusion that poor people are losers who are addicted to safety net programs. As a narcissistic son of privilege, he is out to cut those programs and to impose strict work requirements on families seeking public assistance. Never mind that most recipients of aid already work, subjected to the hardships of poverty by the low wages of their jobs. This is Jim Hightower saying, but that's the real world. And it doesn't mesh with Trump and company's cruel self-deception that basic humane benefits make poverty too pleasant. They're imposing a Dickensian governing ethic that is fundamentally obscene. And even more obscene, it's un-American. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at www.hightowerlowdown.org. More news, less alternative facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way live from the beautiful Isle of Maui in Hawaii. If you've never, well, heard about this show, aloha. Welcome to it. Hey, if you miss any part of this show, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you listen to us, make sure you give us a like. Uh, follow us on social media at Shaggy Live. And, of course, support us on Patreon at, uh, well, the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Uh, joining me all the way from the city of Chico and raring to go as we talk about some of our favorite happy... St- oh, who am I kidding? We're going to hell in a handbasket and here to cover it all with me is the man, the myth, the DJ, Friday Love. Thank you for having me, kind sir. Back in the no BS zone. So happy to be here. Well, you're from the 11th largest, actually, the 8th largest economy in the world and one of the largest states in the United States, California. But Mm -hmm. how much do you know about life down in simple Georgia? You know, I know they have pretty trees. I know that people tell me that I should go to Savannah all the time. But when I hear about the lifestyle down there and the treatment of people of color and the separation of race and the overabundance of uh, religion, I scared Oh, real scar. You know, the thing is, is like <laughs> I'm a I'm a fan of, of, of music, all kinds of music. And one of the songs that I grew up listening to, because it did kind of paint the one of the most beautiful mental pictures you could imagine, was Georgia by Ray Charles. But if, if Ray Charles was around today, there's a good chance that him, the Georgia born native, wouldn't be able to have any rights in his state. And that would That would kind of change the lyrics to the song, wouldn't it? It would change the lyrics to the song, but it would not change his uh, plight because he didn't have any rights then when he wrote the song. Isn't that amazing? Because he wrote the song in reaction to being banned for life from the state and, you know, his missing of all of the visions. Yeah, I know, I know. Go ahead, insert the obvious joke here. But his visions... Of his youth in in this beautiful and and look as a person that grew up in the South myself, there is a certain af- af- affinity for where you're from. There's a connection to it like like no other. 
But when he wrote that song and he was banned from Georgia because, well, let's see, there was the Jim Crow laws. He was tired of playing on the Chitlin circuit. He was tired of getting treated like a second-class citizen. And, oh, by the way, you know, this whole voting civil rights thing was a big issue. Did you, yeah, did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that here it is in the year 2018 – the life of somebody of color in Georgia would resemble what it was like for somebody like Ray Charles way back when. And this is, uh, uh, I'm sure that people in Ray Charles's time did not have this and they wish they did. It's called the replay button. And they are trying to replay some games that they've already played down in the South to keep people away from the polls, keep people from taking action, to keep people uh, in, in the least of terms downtrodden in every way, shape and form. Now, this is the thing, <clears throat> because the latest trend in Georgia is is really kind of uh, blatant, but sneaky. Now, not too long ago, Stacey Abrams basically broke history in Georgia when she became the Democratic nominee for the, the seat of governor. She would be the first woman of color to ever be Georgia's governor, and there was much ballyhoo behind her. Her campaign, and then on the other side of things, well, the good old boys club seems to have a way of controlling people like Stacy, and it's called the exact match voter ID law. But Friday, how much do you know about what it takes to be a voter in Georgia? I honestly, I'm not very well informed, but I can just. Uh, imagine from what you're describing when I hear the words exact match that makes me think and I'm, I'm totally guessing here you should fill me in and make sure I'm correct I'm just assuming that if my zip code doesn't match the zip code that's on the piece of paper or if there is a Kenyatta uh, uh, um, uh, Bobby Ray is now not able to vote because they don't put his middle name on the actual form and now he is unable to vote it's just a very simple way to keep people out of the vote booth and, you know, it's very interesting that you use that name because <clears throat> let's just say that if you're a name that is very easily identifiable with a race, that exact match scrutiny in Georgia goes exponentially up, doesn't it? Yes, because uh, once again, uh, it's going to be really easy. Say, for instance, that I'm at the polls and I want to make sure that a whole bunch of Shaggies and um, Koishas and Katar vote, I'm going to misspell their name. Because, see, this is the thing. The state law requires voter registration forms to match exactly. And, okay, here's the sneaky, underhanded thing that we should talk about. <clears throat> Why is that such a problem for minority and impoverished community? Because as a person of color who does not own my home, the likelihood that I have changed my location, address, or any other pertinent information in the last six months because of my dire living situation and the fact that I cannot become employed anywhere near my home because I live in a district where there are no businesses and the few that there are are not hiring people of color, I am therefore stuck with an ID that I haven't changed yet because it's not a priority to me until it's voter time, and then it's too late. Well, also remember, too, that the, the Georgia... The Georgia Republicans and the people in power in Georgia are very, 
very sly because what they've managed to do is open and close and manipulate the hours of the places, oh, and the requirements, that it would take for you to get your correct license exactly to match your living circumstances. So if you're a person that's impoverished, if you're somebody that's going on the low end of the employment scale and you're having to change houses like even once a year, the likelihood that there is a system of support for you, A, to easily be able to update and change your information. Oh, and by the way, at the same time, re-register to vote with your new address. If there was that system there, Georgia's voting demographics would look radically different, wouldn't they? Absolutely. They would be more slanted towards what the actual population looks like and less slanted towards what um, our lovely friends in power, uh, the good old boys club, is manipulating things to look like. Well, this is the thing, too, is because when we talk about manipulation, Republicans time and time again have said that they're rather proud of their efforts for voter disenfranchisement, or it's even been said by Karl Rove when he talked about how they were able to suppress so much of Barack Obama's vote despite Mitt Romney not winning. He, he said that voter suppression had effectively wiped out some of the vote that could have went for well, at that time, first-term President Barack Obama. Now, when it comes to Stacey Abrams in Georgia, the same institutionalized system of keeping people that could support her, would support her, and let's just probably say don't support the good old boys, keeping them out of the system seems to be easily built into the way that they run voting in Georgia, doesn't it? Oh, it's not just voting in Georgia, it's voting in general. Yeah, because let's not forget that it's still out there. Not too long ago, North Carolina had a little bit of a districting problem when it said that <clears throat> with surgical precision, they had alienated the African-American vote and communities of color in North Carolina from the good old boy society. Oh, there's also the cases in Wisconsin. And this is a funny thing. If you want to talk about institutionalized racism, look no further than North Dakota. Have you heard what happened in North Dakota? No, break it down for me, brother. If you are <clears throat> a member of the Native American tribes of North Dakota, you're not going to be voting in the midterm elections if things don't change really quickly. Here's the deal. North Dakota decided to change it so that if you want to vote, you have to have a street address. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, that's... That's easy. You can have a street address, and, and everybody has one of those. Even if you live in apartments or condos, there's letters and numbers and dashes. You can have a physical address, right? I've, I've been duped before. I don't believe this. There's no addresses on the rest. <laughs> yeah. See, that's just it. If you are a Native American and you live on a reservation, you don't have a physical you mailing address do you see how abused I am that I would know immediately that there was some secret plan? <laughs> you know, it is kind of funny. When you've been disenfranchised your whole life, you can kind <laughs> of see it coming over the horizon, can't you? As soon as you start talking about it, I was like, oh, I know what this is. Because all they're saying is wherever I live ain't, ain't a house. That's all they're going to tell me. No matter where it is, even if it was right next door to you, they would still tell me that I don't live at a house. Yeah, well, that's what they've told Native American voters in North Dakota. Because you don't have, quote-unquote, a house, you don't have a vote. And now, this is the thing that really bothers me. 
Long time ago in this country's history, we fought a war over something called taxation without representation. If you can't vote and if you're not registered by the federal government as being somebody that has a voice in this country and you still pay taxes, Friday, isn't the United States government basically, when it comes to minority communities, doing taxation without representation? Absolutely. And they're aiming for it. They're, they're taking a very careful crosshaired aim at their ability to disenfranchise these people and take away their right to vote and make it look like they're on the right side of the law. Now, uh, this is the thing, because Georgia Democrats have, have basically decided that they're going to go after the controlling Republicans in a lawsuit and say, look, you have to fix this now because just like with the North Carolina system, it's a surgical target on a racial background of their state so that they can suppress what is clearly, in Stacey Abrams, a kind of a popular candidate. Uh, kind of a popular? It's, it's a long-awaited candidate. It's a candidate that they're so afraid of that they have to put preemptive strikes in. Okay, well, this is the thing that i got to ask you, though, because, look, if you're a voter— and you're a person of color, do you trust that your vote gets counted these days? As a person of color, I can tell you I am so very disenfranchised with the entire voting system. I hardly believe in it. I keep functioning within it because I think it's the right thing to do, but I really don't have a lot of faith in it. They show me time and time again that a, a uh, an election can be bought, an election can be stolen, an election can be manipulated. We've had all three of those, one, two, three, all in a row, like three strikes are out. Okay, but I, I do want to bring up something, though, because faith in a system is very, very important. But it seems like when you're a minority in the United States, you don't really have a lot just going going into the whole process. You don't have a lot to actually have faith in when it comes to these things, do you? So let's go back to what we all know to be absolutely true. They wrote the Constitution in a state, in a place, in a mind state that was made to keep a specific group of people in a specific place. Until we rewrite that, nothing is going to change. It's institutionalized. As we bring up on this show all the time, the one thing that we know for a fact is they have built this wrongness into the engine, and in order to fix it, we need to we got to start with another engine. Yeah, because the engine that we're at now is kind of running only good for one side. Now, one person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, one one specific group of people it's it's only running for them and if you if you are in the in the billionaires I mean, wow, dude, in my lifetime, we've gone from wanting a million dollar house and thinking that was going to be six bedrooms in a relatively nice neighborhood to realizing that, you know, spending a million dollars on a home means that you're going to have a, a one-and-a-half-bath fixer-upper in Maui. <laughs> Are you kidding me? A million dollars would get you a studio apartment in Maui. That's what I'm saying. At exactly. best. You know? And that's the thing, too, is because as the cost of living goes up, and you look at uh, wages across the United States, um, they're not really keeping up. With each other, the cost of living, especially in communities of color, the cost of living and the actual incomes being brought in are never equal, are they? Oh my God, my people, my people are paying. They're paying six to eight percent to cast their check. They're paying twenty-eight to thirty-eight percent on a loan of twelve hundred dollars. 
It's ridiculous. I mean, like when I look at the the, the cash X system, the ca check cashing centers in, in my communities, the the lack of banks and the lack of grocery stores, I'm horribly, horribly appalled. Now, and that's the thing that we, we when you talk about voter disenfranchisement, these little signs as far as <clears throat> who gets a voice and who doesn't get a voice are, are according to electoral boards, yeah, okay, these are inner city communities or other code words for ways of districting them to, to kind of keep them in check, aren't there? Oh, keep them in check. I wish. I dream. <laughs> well, that's the problem, though. It's because when we're talking about voter disenfranchisement and, 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 and noting that it goes across many racial lines, why is it that nobody really clamors to fix this problem? No, that's a question I can't answer. I don't know why no one clamors to fix this problem. I mean, like, I th unfortunately, I feel like it's one of those problems that isn't a problem until you either – it isn't a problem – It. And I'm, I apologize. It is a problem because you don't have the power to change it. Like uh, our um, lady in Georgia right now who can't – basically, they're taking away her votes by making – placing these systems in place – but once she, if she makes it, once she's in place, I don't know that she'll have the wherewithal to make these changes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's something being lost there that, like, before she has the power to make the change, she can't. Stacey can't. And then after she's in, she isn't necessarily focused on that because they're going to be distracting her with probably trying to stay alive, keep her skirt down, and keep people from trying to grab her in the crotch. You know, and, and I just want to bring up something very interesting to you. Um, if Georgia, in fact has an exact match ID, wouldn't white people who get a tan be ineligible to vote? <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, haircuts, and once again, this would be a deficit to people of color because we love to change our hair, but like haircuts, wearing your glasses, uh, contact lenses. Oh, wait, man makeup. If you shave off that beard, uh, you can't vote, kind sir. Oh, yeah, and I, I think if there, it's... If if you're going to have a stupid law like this, we should just go ahead and apply it equally across the board. So if you're a lady that just did not have your eyebrows groomed on the day that you took your picture and then your eyebrows were perfectly like, I guess the kids would call it on point, on fleek, good looking, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But you show up at the electoral booth and you, you show them your picture of your eyebrows looking like, you know, the bush. They would probably say, no, I'm sorry, that's not an exact match. You need to go home. You can't Absolutely vote. Absolutely right. Because do you, you, know, you know how many potential white people we could invalidate in a day if we pushed to them the same type of BS stuff that we do on minority communities? Uh, it, it would be twice as easy because they haven't been prepared for it. They haven't been practicing for 600 years. Right. And because license and stuff only change every, you know, what, four or five years in most states, what about those people that are in, like, those gap years where their blonde is turning gray and their brunette is going salt and pepper? When they show up to the election uh, uh, polling place of their of their district, are they turned away for not exactly matching their description? Yeah, all those uh, asymmetrical bobs and uh, short haircuts that you guys were blowing up for summer are about to make it so you can't vote. That's that's the funny thing is, is we, we point it out because it seems absurd. But if you are a person in Georgia, that absurdity is a way of life 
if you're in a community of, well, non-Caucasianists. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing, because, <clears throat> and I, I, I know that I don't want to glorify this guy anymore, but we've got to bring up just a little bit of where this leaves us with Kanye West and what he thinks of all of this stuff. Because Friday, a very interesting thing happened on the way to the show today. I opened up social media and people are still talking about this. And this is the thing. Now that enough time has passed, much like earlier in the show when we talked about how much time has passed in Me Too and now there's the the backlash against it because all things that are great can constantly be ruined by men in America. But when it comes <laughs> to Kanye West, the thing that a lot of people are now starting to do are they're, they're starting to be West apologists. And this is the one that gets me. You don't know how genius Kanye West is for his his sit-down with the president. Kanye was a genius, and we, we're just too stupid to understand. This is super important for people to understand. So um, when Kanye speaks, because people of color have been trained that all of us are the ambassadors for the entire race, and when a black man goes to jail, all black men are about to go to jail or capable of going to jail or capable of committing that crime— you notice that no white people feel the same way when Donald Trump speaks. They don't feel embarrassed. They don't feel the need to run out and apologize for what he said because he doesn't speak for all of us, blah, 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 blah. But what we should be thinking is he does speak for all of you. You voted him in the office, and that's what we should, we should all be on defense mode. Well, when it comes to the defense of Kanye West, this is the, the statement that I got. And I, I, I just want to ask you because it seems a little weird to me. <sighs> Was Kanye West playing up Trump's ego in a genius type way, or was he just there for the idol worship? Kanye West is a music star. <clears throat> and what that means is in order to get to his level of the game, you have to be solely concentrated on only your own best benefits. You cannot be thinking of your wife. You can't think of your manager. You can't even think of the audience who's listening to you. If you are not solely concentrated on the fact that you are the greatest thing to ever happen, that everything you make is a hit, and that everyone should know that you are a hit maker, you will not make it in the business to the level that Kanye West has made it to. So for him to come out and say the things that he said and act the way that he acted, I have no doubt in my mind that it was all about him, his career, his next step, what he was going to do after he left the Oval Office. Now, this is the thing that I notice some people sh sharing on, on social media, because when I, when I say that there's this weird defense, there is a very, very weird defense. And one of them uh, came from the picture of, you know, memes and the online community. And it had to do with what Kanye West was there for. Okay, without, without reading too deep into the headlines... Um, <laughs> What did you think that Kanye West was going to the White House for? Uh, as a promotional uh, tour for himself. Now, this is the thing. The trip was announced weeks in advance, okay? Mm -hmm. And they even said that there was an agenda for that conversation. Do you mm -hmm. remember the agenda? I do not. It seems that Mr. West was aspiring to be as, and this is kind of funny, 
as proactive as his wife Kim Kardashian when it comes to prison reform in the United States. Kanye wow. was there to sit down with the president and talk about unequal application of police can brutality. I, well, go for it. Can I, can I make a comparison? Okay. So just like his wife, Kanye West went to the White House and he did exactly what she did. She saved a single woman of color from something bad happening to her. When she had the opportunity to save hundreds of thousands, Kanye did the exact same thing. He went in there and took an opportunity to help hundreds of thousands to make one black person the subject of what was disenfranchised and bad about the USA himself. Well, that's just it. <laughs> he goes, now this is the meme in its entirety. It says, so Kanye got in front of Trump and asked for prison reform, tax breaks to bring factory jobs back to America and to put them in Chicago. More mental health institutions, more art programs, no stop and frisk in Chicago, better education programs, and to free Larry Hoover, and everybody's still mad. Do you remember any of those things in that whole 10-minute rambling speech? Uh, I, I don't remember any of those things, and I would say that it would take a translator to pull those things out of what he said. Well, that's just it, too, because it says here in this little image that's getting passed around online that he was there saying that we needed more mental health institutions. But let's be honest, Kanye West isn't a guy that actually believes in mental health care. Or institutions, for that matter. Yeah, yeah I know. What, what, what do we need? What we what we need for another place where we send people where they don't want to go and treat them in ways that they haven't agreed to? <laughs> True. And this is the thing, too, because, look, when you think about the aftermath of this and why people are still talking about it, why is it so important when an artist like him, who we have a very public history with, why is it so important and why do people get so wrapped up in it when he sits down with somebody like a Donald Trump? Because we romanticize that Kanye West is something special. Kanye West is a guy who happened to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Uh, in, in all likelihood, he also was in the right place for a certain piece of technology to also help him step to the next level. <clears throat> well, then, you know, according to him, uh, technology probably came from an alien or something. But um, <laughs> Donald Trump loved parading him out. And now Fox News is absolutely enamored with Kanye West. Is, is it kind of, and I'm just going to say this because this is mentioned to me behind the scenes, does it kind of seem like Kanye is the new token? Oh, yes. And he wanted to be. He stood up and said, I will volunteer for the position. Yikes. Now, here's the thing. On a personal level, what do you think about people still talking about this story? I think it's important that people are still talking about this story. I mean, certain people, it's a waste of breath for them to talk about it. But I think, like, for instance, the fact that you and I are still talking about this is really important because we're trying to give some breath to the um, the inability for some media and a lot of people to understand that, like, all these chess moves are happening and you're still playing checkers. Yeah. And when it comes to the story of Mr. West and his devil may care uh, press conference with the uh, president in Washington, D.C., I don't remember any of these things being discussed in any length that would make me think, wow, this guy is a credible source of information. So here's the thing. If if Kanye West is the one that's going to be now the accepted, we'll call him the token, what 
does that leave for Trump going into the midterms? I mean, he's already got his rapper. He's already got his his house. He's already got his Supreme Court. Is there anything else left? Uh, for a dictator, um, everything else is left. He he still has so many goals to accomplish. You know, um, you know, for instance, there's still public transportation. People are still going to school for free. We're not charging for water yet. He has so many goals. He still needs to accomplish it. We have to stop him. Yeah, I know. Hey, Friday, where every where can everybody catch you online? Um, online. Well, you know, I just started podcasting, and they can look me up under uh, Friday Love. In a Google search and find me podcasting out in the world. Yeah. For me, though, that's going to wrap up the show. For you, I hope tomorrow is going to be a little bit better. Till next time, love you, mean it. Gate in, bye.